0: Good morning. Welcome to worship at St. Peter's Lutheran this morning. It's good to have you join us, whether you're uh, tuning in from close by or far away. We'll begin our service by singing the hymn, The Lord's My Shepherd. Continue our service with the opening statement from the Matins Liturgy. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall bear your praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O God. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Hallelujah. Give glory to God, our light and our life. O come, let us you. Amen. Amen. Let's say the prayer of the day together. God of all power, you called from death our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Send us shepherds to rescue the lost, heal the injured, and to feed one another with knowledge and understanding. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This morning, Psalm 23 will be played uh, from a previous recording done on film. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The music on that was From the Ashes by John Erickson. Now we'll continue with a children's message that Elaine has put together, which we're looking forward to see.
1: Welcome to the Children's Circle. Today we're going to talk about Jesus is the Good Shepherd. This is a picture of the altar in the church that Pastor Paul used to attend every Sunday when he was growing up. He would look at the picture and would think about how Jesus is our Good Shepherd and looks after us. So today we're going to explore what this shepherd thing is all about. And I have invited to our circle an old friend, this little old sheep. We're going to take him on an adventure and we're going to see all the things that Jesus does. How he takes us to green pastures, he takes us beside still waters, sometimes to scary places and ultimately he brings us home. So let's learn all about sheep. Welcome to Children's Circle. Today we're going to talk about sheep and shepherd. I brought my old sheep and look at this. Oh, hello. Are you desperate for attention? Look at them, they're running after me. Hello, sheep, look at the sheep my goodness they spotted me hello sheep are you lonely well hello you're very lonely social isolation has not been good for these sheep but then they kind of ignore me and they all go together one decides that he's going to come the others all follow hmm Well, I think I'm going to take my sheep, my poor little lamb, and go home. So I'm taking my little lamb here on an adventure through this path. It's kind of scary and dark. Okay, so why would the shepherd take me through a dark place like that? I guess to take us to a place where we can get food and water. Sometimes we end up in really scary places. but God is with us, protecting us, keeping us safe. Sometimes sheep just get to rest in green pastures, enjoying the, enjoying the day. And at the end of the day, The shepherd brings you safely through the gate and looks over you in your home. The scripture readings today invite us to consider God's relationship to the Christian community, a relationship characterized by fellowship, word, sacrament, and prayer, and by the image of Christ as a shepherd caring for the sheep. Today we think of Christ's relationship to the flock of his people at St. Peter's, especially during this time of social isolation. Acts 42-47 to 47. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the Apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved.
2: The reading from The reading from 1 Peter 2 is a call to suffer not for wrongdoing but for doing right just as Christ suffered for us and became our shepherd who are like sheep who have gone astray 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 19 to 25 For it is a credit to you if being aware of God you endure pain while suffering unjustly If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The word of the Lord.
0: The next hymn is a medley of two songs, Step by Step and Blessed Be Your Name. Thank you. Let's join together in praying Luther's morning prayer. This is a useful prayer that any of us could pray any day, any probably any time of the day. Um, let's pray together now. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have protected us through the night from all danger and harm. We ask you to preserve and keep us this day also, From all sin and evil that in all our thoughts words and deeds we may serve and please you into your hands we commend our bodies and souls and all that is ours let your holy angels have charge of us that the wicked one have no power over us in many and various ways god spoke to his people of old by the prophets but now in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel is from the 10th chapter of John. I believe we have this recorded as well.
3: today from John chapter 10,
2: we hear how Jesus is like a shepherd of the sheep and also like the gate through which the sheep enter the sheepfold. The Holy Gospel from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Thanks Paul, Elaine, and I appreciate those comments ahead of the readings as well that give a little bit of insight into the main message of the reading. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you and praise you for your power and your grace, and we ask that you would come and be present in our hearts, our minds, our homes, wherever we are. Open our hearts and minds to hear from you, whatever it is that you have for us today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. The sermon this morning is going to be on Psalm 23, and um, I actually confess I had a bit of difficulty getting the sermon ready this week Just because there was so much material, I could have preached probably three different sermons on this, and maybe we'll have to do a Psalm 23, part two sometime. But um, there's a lot in here, and there's a there's it's obvious why it's many people's favorite psalm, and even their favorite piece of scripture. First, it's a marvelous piece of poetry with lots of fantastic images and metaphors, the kind of thing that you appreciate in any piece of poetry. But in addition to the poetry, it has a marvelous message. It talks about how God meets our needs. It mentions provision, mentions rest, restoration of personal morale, attitude. It also responds to the things that we're often afraid of. Uh, Things such as poverty, lethargy, feeling drained, confusion, misdirection, physical hurt, attacks to our reputation, fears for the future, stuff that we all worry about at different times in life. So we'll look at these today and these themes as we go through the psalm verse by verse. In verses 1 and 2, we have a response to the fear of poverty. And we hear, the Lord is my shepherd, in response. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. With the phrase, I shall not be in want, God lets us know that he's there to take care of our needs, particularly our physical needs. And we know that God does provide. Sometimes God provides in rather dramatic ways. A great uncle of mine lived on the prairies back in the Great Depression of the 1930s, and uh, his daughter Helen once told me this story. There were a lot of children in the family, as was common in those days, in many families, and at one point they completely ran out of money and they ran out of food. They had nothing. This was the Great Depression, after all. So in response, Mom and Dad gathered the family together to pray about the situation, to ask for God's provision. And Helen told me that, you know, as they were gathered around the kitchen table praying, before they'd even finished the prayer, there came a knock on the door, and it was a nearby farmer who'd driven up and said that he noticed that he had, they had hay in their field, and he was wondering if he could cut the hay and buy it from them. And that gave them enough money to tide things over until the next paycheck came. The family remembered that event for the rest of their lives. I heard another similar story, uh, this time at the, f- uh, at the funeral of Pastor K. Henry Reitze in Medicine Hat. Reitze had grown up in Germany during the war. He uh, started off in a different career and became a pastor later in life. But at one point during the war, his parents sent him and his brothers to the south of Germany which wasn't being bombed quite as much just for safety. And so here he was at age 14 taking care of his younger brothers and away from his parents. By him, by, they were by themselves and he was in charge. At one point they ran out of food and Wrightsy uh, was a bit frustrated and rather scared uh, at the time and so he said kind of an angry prayer up to God. Look God you've got to do better than this. At that point he heard a knock at the door and puzzled, he opened the door and looked out, and there in the doorstep was a stew in a pot, still warm. He looked up and down the street to see who might have knocked, but he couldn't see anybody. So he took the stew inside, and he and his younger brothers had something to eat. And he remembered, remembered that story and talked about it for the rest of his life. I don't think he ever figured out where that stew exactly came from, but he, he saw it as coming from God. It showed up exactly right after he prayed. I remember a conversation with a man who attended a church I was part of in the early 90s in Ontario. He and his wife ran a business, and if I remember correctly, I think it was a meat shop. Anyhow, during the recession of the early 90s, the man told me that business wasn't as good as normal, but he and his wife would, uh, first thing in the morning, they'd pray in their empty shop for some customers to come in, and eventually someone would come in. Whenever they stop and pray, someone seemed to come. And so we don't like those times of difficulty. But it's during those times, many often, that we see the hand of God at work, providing. And those experiences, those stories, become the stories that we tell our children and grandchildren. And when we tell those stories to them, those become the foundation stones for things other than meals or houses or whatever it is that we're lacking. They become signposts to God and as to what's most important and meaningful in life as well. Let's go back to the next verse in the psalm. In grassy meadows he puts me down. Uh, Glenn Taylor was one of my Hebrew professors in university, and he mentioned when going through the psalm once that there's a special type of verb tense in the Hebrew language that really emphasizes the fact that God puts you down, definitely. He sort of makes the sheep lie down, whether the sheep wants to or not. Sometimes that happens with us as well. When we're we're tired, when we need a break, we are sort of forced to take one. Some people find that that's what's going on in our current situation. You know, There's lots of frustrations with it, but others are saying we're forced to take a break. So we've seen how the threat of poverty is dealt with. And verse 3 then responds to the threats of feeling drained. It reads, he restores my soul, or he invigorates me. That verse tells us that God is the source of energy and power. And that's that's a strong statement. The word soul in English doesn't quite capture what King David is talking about in the Hebrew language. The the original Hebrew word is something called nefesh, nefesh. And it's, it's more than soul. You know, when we talk about soul, we think of kind of our spirit, the part of us that goes to heaven maybe after we die. But in the Hebrew language, they had a bigger, it meant more than that. It was our whole body. It was our mind, our physical body, our, our attitude, our feelings, our emotions, all the rest of it. So you could translate that verse, God energizes my entire life or everything that I am or something to that effect. So it's a very strong statement that God is interested not just in the spiritual us, but the physical us, the mental us, the emotional us also, all of it. Something else that makes this line in the psalm strong is the way it's said. Most times, and you might have noticed this yourself when you read the Bible, in Hebrew poetry things are said twice. You say one thing, and then you say the, the same thing again, kind of using different words. And that's, that's a common, common trait in Hebrew poetry. But this line doesn't have that. It only says, God energizes my entire life, or he restores my soul. It's just left alone. It doesn't have that answering extra verse. So it's different. And because it's different, it has extra emphasis. Um, so King David is saying, God really does restore us. He's interested in that. The one question we might ask is, how, how does God do this? Well, there's lots of ways that God encourages us to be invigorated or works to be invigorated. Sometimes he speaks to us directly through scripture. We might be in a bad mood or we might have a crazy idea. We'll open up our Bibles at home and read a bit and we'll realize, hmm, this is just how I'm feeling temporarily today. This isn't really the way life actually is all the time. And God will invigorate us and give more optimism, inject more, more hope into our lives through our reading of Scripture. Um, there's other ways that God invigorates us, too. We, we talked earlier about how God provides for us in you know, our, our physical needs. But we have other needs as well, right? We have needs for friendship, um, interactions with others, emotional needs. And we are encouraged to pray and to trust God for these needs as well. Life can be a bit strange at times. At one point in life, you might receive something easily, as a matter of course. Um, You almost take the thing for granted. You get it so easily. But then, circumstances might change, and you go through a period of life where, yes, you get the same thing that you had before, but it's not as regular. It's not as reliable or dependable, and you suddenly recognize that you can't take it for granted anymore, And not only that, you also begin to realize that it was God that was providing this thing that you had all the time, um, even though maybe you didn't notice it before. And so when we're in that situation, I guess it humbles us a bit, perhaps, and it teaches us to pray. And there is something humbling about that, right? Shouldn't the customers just show up in the store? Why should we have to pray that they come, you know? Shouldn't the friends or people just come knocking? Why should we pray about that? But I think God wants us to learn that all things come from him. And so when we learn this, we become less proud. And when this temporary deprivation is lifted and our circumstances change once again, and we receive the same thing more regularly in the future, we recognize at that point, yeah, it was God. He is the provider. He was providing, and we see it in the answered prayers that we had at those times. I think the current situation that we're in right now might be one of those times where we, we still receive what we need, but not as frequently, perhaps, as we had in the past. And that encourages us to pray to God for it. Sometimes it's our spirits, our personal morale, that has, has to be revived. Sometimes, too, the invigoration we're talking about comes directly from an intervention from God. We, our, our mood might just lift. A piece of music comes on the radio, and it transforms us from from despair or frustration to hope and optimism, whatever it is. Like that shepherd forcing the sheep to lie down in the pasture. Sometimes God wants us to do something as well. When I was younger, I had a piano teacher named Ann Burroughs. Some of you may recognize the name. She had a a radio show on uh, CBC at the time. She was blind. And um, she relayed a story that at one point in her life, her circumstances changed and so was she, she was more alone by herself than she had been previously. And when you're blind, you're really alone. There, there isn't, you don't have as many tools to use to interact with people or to get out in the outside world as, as most people do. And the, her situation was beginning to make her feel down in the dumps. But one day when she was feeling this way, she recognized no. I'm not going to allow myself to slip into depression over this. I'm going to take the initiative. I will reach out. So she would phone people up frequently. Uh, She would go out a lot, as much as she could. Of course, she had to take a taxi, and that was a worry, because when you're blind, you don't know if you're going to be ripped off by the taxi driver. In those days, anyhow, they didn't have cell phone apps at that time that would say where you had to go. So in order to make herself feel better about that situation... She actually memorized the whole street map of the city of Edmonton in order to make sure that you know she could remember every single corner that the taxi driver would go around. She'd feel it and she would know that the route was the, the best route to take and she would know that she wouldn't be cheated. So she'd be able to go out. She did whatever it took and it worked. And the fact that she reached out and reached out continually Um, for many years in her life became uh, a great blessing to her life eventually as well. She had many friends because of that. Sometimes the invigoration that comes to us comes about by obeying or following a direct command from God. I've mentioned this in other sermons too. One of the most frequently repeated commands in scripture is sing to the Lord a new song. And I'm sure when we hear that, it's not about new music only, although, of course, it is also about music, but it's an encouragement by God to be creative in what area of life, whatever area of life that we see ourselves being able to do that in. If we're good at carpentry, maybe sing to the Lord and new song in our with our workbench. If we're good at gardening, maybe we can sing to the Lord and new song in our garden. If we're good at... Uh, Auto mechanics, sing to the Lord a new song in our our workspace. Whatever it is, we're encouraged to be creative and think of new things. God wants us to do that. And because he gives us these marching orders, then when we step into that path that he's asked us to do, we feel blessed and invigorated as a result. So we've looked at the fear of lethargy and poverty. What's next? Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 4 is a response to the attack of the fear of attack and the fear of confusion. And in this verse, we're told that God directs, he leads, he guides. Um, and I think it's important for us to recognize that God does lead and important for us to, as best as we can, follow God's leading. Um, that's another sermon how we do that. But it's, it's... It, that helps preserve us through the valley of the shadow of death as well, right? But when you read this psalm, the, the, the dynamic between uh, stillness and movement and stillness seems to suggest that our lives are a journey. The first couple verses of the psalm where the sheep are in green pastures or beside still waters, they're not moving around a lot. That suggests stillness. And then in the middle of the psalm, there's movement walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And in the end of the psalm, there is stillness again. You have to sit down to to eat the banquet that's talked about there. And that suggests that our lives are like a journey, and God is with us throughout all our lives, every stage of it, guiding us along. And that sense of journeying through life could mean several things. It could mean our childhood, uh, then our working years where we're moving around a bit more, and then retirement. It could mean our life here on earth, and then the transition from this life to the next, and Eating the heavenly feast in heaven, it could mean uh, what it feels like these days. Sometimes when we have to escape isolation and go to the grocery store, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, or as it were, in that situation, and finally we return home to feast. Um, whatever it is, um, when I was preparing the psalm, I thought about the people in our church who, either who they themselves or their families were refugees in World War II, and they had to move and then come to a new situation. Where, where there was uh, blessing again. Um, but whatever it is that that represents for us, uh, we have a sense that it's God that's accompanying us through our life journey on every step of the way. And there's, there's something comforting about that. Many people think that faith or religion is something for little children or for the elderly, but that God doesn't have anything to say to those of us in between. Um, but this, is, this psalm, of course, says otherwise. Verse 5 is a response to slander and attack. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In other words, even the people that don't like me, <laughs> who are maybe would normally say nasty things about me, they have to acknowledge that you've, you've helped me. And so, uh, so far this psalm has addressed the fear of material want, fear of threats, fear of loss of energy, confusion, slander and attack, Um, and we see all along that God is the source of all good things. Often in life, we chase after other sort of non-godly stuff to to get our needs met, so we think, but this psalm says it's really God that's the source of this, but verse 6 goes beyond this. It's very optimistic. Verse 6 deals with the response of fear of the future, and there's a lot of that. Uh, especially right now, it's a response to pessimism. And pessimism is something that can be really deadly for people who try to uh, serve God or help with any good cause. You can think about the problems of the world so much uh, that you not only become worried about the problems, you also become immobilized from doing anything about it, or you become maybe excessively angry, perhaps, and that also blunts your effectiveness for helping with those problems of the world. And... um, it's no wonder then that in the small catechism, Luther talks about despair as being a sin. But sometimes pessimism is more basic than that. Sometimes you've got a project to do at home, for instance, and you might be procrastinating on it. And it's because of pessimism, right? You, you, just, you don't really think you can get it done. And so because of that, you, you, you're, you're not getting around to doing it. And maybe all it takes is the belief that with God, all things are possible, plus some persistent action and effort, and and it can be done. The Bible talks about more than one kind of faith. It talks about faith that saves us, that gets us into heaven, but it also talks about faith for this life, faith that God does work and provide and, and lead and guide and take care of us in this life as well. And that's chiefly what this psalm is talking about. And when we know that, that helps us overcome the pessimism that we might have. Um, so Psalm 23 says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, it, it says that truly your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That responds to pessimism. And also, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that, that of course, could mean heaven, but it might mean something else. Again, um, I'm going to borrow from my old Hebrew prof here. He says that in many times in the Psalms, the the guy that's writing the Psalm, the woman that's writing the Psalm is going through a period of frustration and they say, how can life be so awful or difficult? But then when they go to God's house in the Psalm, their perspective changes and they see things differently and they have a much more optimistic attitude. And that that could be what this is talking about here with this last line. That I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever might mean that I will, I will figuratively be in God's house and have that better perspective that gives me a more optimistic and more hopeful view of the situation that I'm in, which enables me to have faith in God, enables me to serve God, enables me to overcome the pessimism of life. So, Psalm 23 is an amazing psalm, and it it speaks to us in many ways. It talks about provision. It talks about God keeping us from the various threats of life. It also talks about how God uh, provides for us, gives us, helps us overcome pessimism. And ultimately, we trust that if we believe in God, we remember that God isn't finished working in this world, not in our lives either, yours and mine, nor in the lives of our family members. And as a result, there isn't room for despair. Jesus said, I am working and my father is still working and he hasn't quit yet. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you and praise you for your power and your grace. We thank you that you promised to work in our lives and for us, not just for other people, but for us, for people that we know and for our family members and our friends and our community as well. Lord, we ask that we can take this to heart and that we can sense your leading and your guiding, that we will hear your voice speak in our ears as we walk. This is the way walk in it. Help us discern your voice away from those of the, the false shepherds that talked about in the gospel. Help us trust in your provision, and we do pray that you meet our needs, whatever those are, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll continue by singing the hymn. I know who holds tomorrow. Let's say together the brief order for confession and forgiveness. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for us. And for his sake, he forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you what Jesus has already already given, the entire forgiveness of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to uh, say our prayer, our litany prayer that we've been praying the last few weeks. Just a comment about this prayer and the form of it, um, it is good to pray our own prayers using our own minds and what, what... you know, comes out of our, our heads to concentrate and focus on the prayers we have. And that's those are probably the best kind of prayers to have. But there's also good things about saying a written prayer together in the way that we do this morning. And one of the one of the messages that this sends when we pray together like this is that we're a community. We're not just individuals. We're not just stuck home alone, isolated in our little places. But we're praying something together using the same words. And that says that we value community and we are a community and we understand that God sees us as a community working together and praying together. Let's pray. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our pastors in Christ, for all servants of the church, and for all the people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our public servants, for the government and those who protect us in this country and other countries, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection, in this and in every place, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation or at home, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people present who await from the Lord great and abundant mercy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For favorable weather, for an abundance of the fruits of the earth, and for peaceful times, let us pray to the Lord. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, pestilence, danger, and need, let us pray to the Lord. Lord For the faithful who have gone before us and are at rest, let us give thanks to the Lord. Alleluia. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious God. Rejoicing in the fellowship of all the saints, let us commend ourselves one another and our whole life to Christ our Lord. To, to you, me. O Lord. Let's say this next prayer together. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, the peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments,
3: and also that we,
0: being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior, Who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. Just a few other prayers here. We pray for the comfort and healing of the families of the victims of the shooting in Nova Scotia. We pray that these kinds of events won't happen in the future. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for our world leaders that you give them wisdom and guidance as they govern in this challenging time. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for all the people of the world that you provide for them the basic necessities of life and keep them in good health. Lord, in your mercy. We pray for your protection for the people who are in long-term care homes in this country and other countries. We especially pray this morning for Judy, Alice, Eva, Don, Anna, John, Robert, Margaret, Patrick, and Helen. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, we we thank you for the successful surgery that Wes Cooper had this week and we pray for his further recovery. We also pray for healing and health for others in our congregation and those of our friends and family members we know. Mari, Grayson, Alice, Bob, Darren, Patrick, Helen, Denisa, Denise, Barrett, Claire, Doug, Evelyn, Fergus, Greg, Shelly, Adeline, Brenda, Judy, Kaylee, Karen, John, Annick, Cliff, Dina, and all those afflicted with any disease anywhere, God, we ask you give them perfect healing, mentally, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Lord, in your mercy. Yeah. We pray for those who are mourning, especially the Cooper family, the Wetherington family, the Ripster family, that they may know your comfort. Lord, in your mercy.
3: Yeah.
0: Into your hands, O oh God, we give all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Receive the benediction. The Almighty and Merciful Lord, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless us and preserve us now and forever. Amen. Let's pray one last prayer here before our final hymn. We'll pray this together Lord God, you have called your servants to ventures of which we cannot see the ending by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown. Give us faith to go out with good courage, not knowing where we go, but only that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our closing hymn is Great as Thy Faithfulness. for joining us in worship today, and thank you to those who helped with the service, Elaine and Brock and Mary Jo, and Lauren in the back, and those of you who submitted pictures and helped with the recordings. It's much appreciated, and we'll see you back next week at the same time. Go in peace, serve the Lord.